look at the second part of the Lord's Prayer, it makes this very clear, right? I am not, and neither are you, I'm sorry to disappoint you, a superhero Christian. We cannot do this and travel this journey of being a believer on our own. We are absolutely dependent on Christ. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. This morning, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're finishing up uh, on the Lord's Prayer this morning. And we're following the same theme, and that is the Lord's Prayer as a, a guide for us to follow. Last week we saw that it was a guide for us to follow as it led us to worship. This morning it is a guide for us to follow that leads us to, to what we need to, for God's to interact with us and for God to meet with us and to, for God to provide what we need. And as I was thinking about this for a guide, I kind of flashed back to our beach trip a few, uh, I guess earlier this year. We hadn't been to the beach for a while, and so uh, we were doing all that touristy thing. And, and one of the things when you go to the beach, especially to the outer banks, you go past these docks with rows and rows and rows of charter boats, right? Getting ready to go deep sea fishing. Now, y'all all know how I feel about fishing. I'm glad y'all love it. I don't, okay? I just, I don't have the patience for it. My favorite fishing I've told you before was when Will was little and we had the rod that had the plastic fish because I was guaranteed to catch one every time I threw it in, right? I just, I don't have it, but enjoy. But I was thinking about that. And you go out and charter a boat. And when you charter a boat, it comes, thankfully, with a captain, because two things. One, the captain, the owner, is not going to give you the keys to his boat, right? I've, I've known boat owners. They, they don't like you to drive their boats. But secondly, you need a guide. Because once you come out of the dock, and once you turn underneath the bridge, and once you hit open water, and you go a couple miles out, you know what? You don't see anything. And you get in the middle of the ocean, and you look around, and there's water that way, and there's water that way, and there's water that way, and all of a sudden, you can't remember which way the sun rises and sets. You don't know where you are. You need a guide. You need that guide, first of all, to take you to where the fish are, right? I mean, it's not going to be any fun to charter a boat and get out there in the middle, and the captain look at you and go, do you know where the fish are? I, I, I don't know. But he takes you to the fish, but then what else do you need? You need him at the end, after you caught all your fish, to guide you back from the expanse of nothing but water to land. If you did not have that guide, you would not be able to get back. The entire time from the moment you step on the, his boat that morning at the dock till you step off his boat in the afternoon, you are completely and totally dependent upon your guide. He would not be a good guide if he did not take you to the fish, and he would not be a good guide if he did not bring you back in. You're dependent upon him. This morning, as we look at the second part of the Lord's Prayer, it calls us to look at our complete and total dependence on God. We are dependent on him 
for every single thing. Everything that we need. Now, this is very interesting. There's a, there's a turn, right? The, the, there's a twist that we talked about in, in the Lord's Prayer where all of a sudden, as Jesus has given it, the first section, rightly, is focused on heaven. It, it, it is uh, us praying and, and saying, all right, God, we're going to revere your name, desire your kingdom, and seek your will, like what is happening in heaven. We want to see that happen here on earth as well. We kind of want heaven to come down, right? We won't have what is happening in heaven to come down and, be, and, and happen on earth. Well, in this second part, as we acknowledge our dependence on him and, and we seek his dependence, it, it really turns the other way. It's, it's a bottom-up approach. It's, it's us saying, God, we need things while we are on this earth to live, and we're petitioning you, you now to give us those needs because we are completely and totally dependent on you. And this is what Jesus says. And we'll read verse 9 as a reminder. I'm just going to read all of the Lord's Prayer, beginning in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this morning, as the Lord's Prayer guides us to understand our dependence on Him and guides us to seek our needs, I want you to notice three needs that we seek, okay? And the first one is this. Prayer guides us to seek our provision, to seek our provision. Very clear. Jesus says in that first transition, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is going to sound like a weird statement from a pastor, don't overread that, okay? Don't super spiritualize that, right? Don't start trying to make connections with John where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So, you know, Jesus must be talking about, you know, seeking him. It's, it's as plain as it is written. Bread, food, that's what he's talking about. Seek your daily provision of food because we need that. Jesus understands that. And he says, all right, look, you need your food. Pray that I will give it to you. Now, this is where it gets spiritual, all right? There is a spiritual component, but, you know, it's not, is he talking about something besides food? No, it's food, all right? We're Baptists, we like food, we understand that. Here's the dependent part. One is Jesus says, pray for daily provision. Daily provision. We live today in a society that doesn't understand this. His audience at the time did because they made bread daily. Here, let's have some fun. If you made bread within the last week, raise your hand and we'll count anything. We'll count cornbread, we'll count biscuits, we'll count anything that you didn't prepackage and buy. But if you actually made bread in the last week, raise your hand. I'm just, I'm just curious. All right, a, a couple people. I'm trying to think, did I make bread? Yes, I did, because we had French toast this week. I made bread this week. All right. We don't do that. We just don't. We go to the store, and we look at the twist ties, thinking that we understand the twist tie system when we really don't, to get the freshest bread that we can take home with us and last a whole week, if not longer. 
And then when it gets towards the end of the week and we haven't eaten it, what do we do? We toss it in the fridge to hope we can get a couple more days out of our bread. But they would have understood. They needed bread daily. For the vast history of the world, people's daily provision was bread. Now, it looks different when you go into different parts of the world, absolutely, but it was still bread. And they would get up, and they would make it in the morning. And they would eat it during the day. You know what they do the next day? They'd get up, and they would make it again. So his audience understood that they needed that food. And they were dependent upon God to send the rain. Think about the process, right? I mean, we are so disconnected today from our food supply. I know a lot of you garden and you're not, but for the most part, we are so disconnected from our food supply. It's like bread just magically appears on the shelf, right? We don't think about the part that there's got to be somewhere where a farmer plants the wheat there's got to be a farmer who, who harvests the wheat. Somewhere it's got to be milled. Somewhere it's got to be baked. Somewhere it's got to be put in the bag. And somewhere it's got to be shipped. All we know is there's bread. It's a daily dependence on God to provide everything that we need. He says, pray, ask for your daily bread. And he will provide. Now, at the same time, his audience, as soon as Jesus said that, his audience is going to think back to something that happened earlier in the Jewish history. They're going to immediately think back to the Exodus, where for 40 years they wandered through the wilderness, and for 40 years, what did Jesus provide? What did God provide for them daily, every morning? Manna. What is it? It's kind of like bread. Every single day of that wilderness generation, God provided the bread that they needed to eat so that they could continue to walk and to live each and every day. And so we still need that. Even though we live in a culture, like I said, disconnected from our food supply, where we don't buy for a day, we buy for weeks, and according to some people advertising on the radio, you can buy for years. Get your survival bucket and go store it up in your shed. Jesus says, you know what? You need to come to me to meet your daily provision. And the second part of this is we need to pray for our daily need, not our daily greed. Okay? There's a huge difference. Proverbs 38 through 9 says this Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of God. Did, did you hear what was written in that? The, the writer of that proverb says, look, I don't want poverty because poverty is going to drive me to steal and profane and, and violate your law. So I, I don't want poverty. Then he says at the same time, I, I don't want riches because then if I have riches, I'm, I'm going to look around and go, why do I need you? I've got everything that I need. So this is not a, a, a prayer prayer. For daily greed. 
right? I mean, Jesus doesn't say, pray for, you know, give us this day our daily filet mignon, our, our, our stuff-loaded baked potato, and, and our, our, our cheesecake, right? Now, we all would love to have that. But there's a, but you see the difference? It is so quickly, and especially in the time and day that we live, where, where, where what? You know, he who has the most toys, he who has the most stuff wins. This idea, we need everything. Jesus says, look, you need daily need. You don't need daily greed. And come to me and pray for my daily need, and, and, and I will give it to you. He absolutely will. And so he's calling for us to make sure that we place our daily need as far as food and daily provision in him and him alone. Then a God uh, who, who is a loving heavenly father who loves us and delights in providing our daily needs will do exactly that. It's a prayer of trust, is it not? God, I know daily I'm going to, to need food. I'm going to need stuff on this earth to live. Will you provide that for me? And, and he does. Absolutely. Every single time. In, in a, a quick word of, of, of personal testimony, I can look back over my life and I can look and say that there was never a time God did not provide everything I needed. Even in our most difficult times, and, and, and we had a few, God provided everything that we needed. And yes, occasionally it was on a daily basis. But he never didn't come through. You know why? Not because of me but because he promised that if we pray, give us this day our daily bread and seek our daily provision, he will meet that need because he is a good and loving father. So this prayer guides us to seek our provision. It also guides us to seek our pardon. Guides us to seek our pardon. Jesus now turns from the importance of our bodies to the importance of our souls. And he says, pray, forgive us our debts. And that word debt, what it is referring to, what it is, is the issue of our sin. And the fact that it, the word that is used, that it is debt, tells us a great deal about our sins. Now, we understand debt in a monetary sense. Right now in America, personal debt is $14 trillion dollars. That means how much debt the people of the United States hold personally, whether home loans, car loans, student loans, credit card loans, whatever. The national debt, the U.S. government debt is $28 trillion. And, and we just use those names so casually. I, I, I can't fathom $28 trillion anything, Right? I tried to think. I was like, I wonder what 28 trillion grains of rice would look like. I'm like, I have no idea. Right? It, 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 is, it is absolutely mind-boggling. 
And I would imagine that one of the shared experiences that we have is that at some point, every one of us in here has been in debt for a car, for a home, for, for something. We understand that. We also understand the absurdity of walking into the bank and the teller looking at us and going, hey, how can I help you today? Yes, I have a home mortgage with you with an outstanding balance of $53,872, and I would like for you to forgive that today. You know, the teller is not going to look at you and say, sure, let me get right on that. We have a form right here for you. Right? More like, uh, hey, manager, we got another one. You know, come and get them. It, it just, it doesn't happen. I mean, it would be great. Right? Piedmont Federal, if you're watching, you want to knock out the less of my home mortgage, go right ahead. But it just, it, it doesn't happen. And as bad as financial debt can be, our spiritual debt is even worse. Because at least with financial debt, we have the opportunity to work more, spend less, do something to get out of it. When it comes to our spiritual debt from our sins, there's nothing that we can do. We have an infinite debt to God that we can't pay off. What kind of payment plan would you come up with? Right? I, I, I mean, just, just again, imagine the absurdity. You care to God. Hey, God. All right, so I've got these debts in my back background, and, and I, I need to pay them off. What would you like me to do? Now, I, I don't want to throw stones, but you can see some Catholic theology in that, in that, okay, you have to do this, 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 and this, this, and this to pay off your sins. All right, the problem is one more prayer isn't going to offset your sin, <laughs> We can't do it. We can't do three prayers and then be like, hey, I'm ahead, I'm to the good too, and, and, and you know, sins down one. We, we can't do that. It just, it does not work. And so when Jesus says to us in the Lord's Prayer, you know, pray, forgive us our debts, it's an amazing statement not to be taken too lightly or to overlook. And Jesus says that because he knows what is coming. Think about it. Jesus knows that the cross is coming, and he knows that when he goes to the cross, that he's going to die on the cross for our sins, as it says in Matthew 20, 28. He's going to provide the ransom for our sins. He's going to pay off our debt. And so he says, hey, pray that your sins, that your debt is forgiven. That, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that, that's just, I mean, it, it is, don't, let, don't overlook that. I think sometimes on, on Bible verses that we know so well, we, we kind of lose the impact. And I think the Lord's Prayer is one. The fact that Jesus says, pray, forgive us our debts, indicating that if we pray that, it's going to happen, that he's going to erase our sin, is absolutely incredible. He paid off our debts. Just as the hymn succinctly states, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. He paid off our debts. We are pardoned from the sins we committed. And then it continues. Once we are in that saving relationship with Jesus, we are instructed now to daily seek forgiveness from God for the sins we have committed. And we do that now, instead of looking forward to our pardon, we do that now looking back on the basis that we have been pardoned. So that when you mess up and you sin, 
we can come to him based on the work that he accomplished on the cross and say, God, Jesus, I, I, I thank you that I'm a believer. Thank you that you have saved me. But today I heard a, a piece of gossip that was just too good to keep to myself, and I told seven other people, forgive me for that sin. Let's see, August 22nd, about 105, God, I thank you that you saved me. I know I shouldn't have went back to the line the fourth time at, at homecoming. I know that looked a little bit gluttony, and, and yeah, the belt's got to be loosened. Uh, it only comes around once a year, you know. Forgive me for that. And he will. He absolutely will. Now, this is where it gets hard. Because that sentence, if you want to use a baseball analogy, is a fastball right over the plate. Then he throws us a curve. He says, after you come to me and pray for your forgiveness, he says, then forgive those who are in debt to you. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, as we forgive those around us. Now, I don't know about you, I've been happy for Jesus to stop at the first one. <laughs> because this one is the hard part. This one is, is, is difficult. Because Jesus has, has instructed, commanded, told, pick whatever authoritative word you want to use to forgive those who have hurt us. And in doing so, what he does is he connects the forgiveness that we find through him with the forgiveness that we extend to others. How many times have you heard or, or, or you thought or uttered, you know, I won't forgive you for that? I mean, even today, when you look around today at our culture and everything that is being proposed and not proposed, one thing is glaringly missing, and that is forgiveness. Because today it's much more about getting even or it, it, it's about, you, you know, uh, making sure they understand how hurt you are so you hurt them back. It, there is no discussion about forgiveness. And here Jesus declares that the attitude of unforgiveness is absolutely incompatible with the faith that we profess to believe in. To accept forgiveness for our sins and then to refuse to extend that forgiveness to the people around us? Jesus says, no. You can't do that. Matthew 28, he tells the story of the unforgiving servant, right? It is the, it's the parable where the king holds the debts of, of one of his servants and the servant owes basically lifetimes of debt, right? I mean, there, there is no way the servant is going to pay off that debt. But yet the king forgives the li lifetime of debt to that one servant. And then that servant leaves. He's happy. Wouldn't you be happy? I would. He leaves. He's happy. He's joyous. And he goes and he finds his fellow servant, which, by the way, is important because it shows that they have equal standing before the king, so the servant who had his debt forgiven is not above the other person. So he goes out and he finds his fellow servant who owes him basically 
a couple of dimes in comparison. Grabs him by the collar, shakes him, says, give me my money, give me my money. The servant says, I don't have it. So he takes servant number one, whose debt's been forgiven, takes servant number two to the jailer and says, he won't pay me back his debt, throw him in jail. Word gets back to the king. The king is just livid. How could you, after being forgiven for all the debt you owed me, not turn around and extend that same forgiveness to someone who owed you money? And at the end of the parable, when Jesus is is talking about the the truth of of the parable, what he's trying to convey, it ends where it says the the jailer then turns to the first servant, takes him and throws him in jail until he pays off his debt. Which, by the way, can you pay off a debt while you're in jail? Absolutely not. Jesus says this in verse 36 of Matthew 18. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, when you hear that, you might ask a question, how in the world can can that be true? How is that statement true? Well, Jesus is making a, a very blunt statement, and it's this. An unforgiving heart is a heart that has never experienced the forgiveness that Jesus offers. It's just, it's that cut and dry. Because if you have experienced that forgiveness, if you understand the depths to which you have been pardoned, and the great debt that you owe to God, a debt that you could not pay off, and He pardons that debt then because you have received that great forgiveness, you want to extend forgiveness to those around you. Yes, okay? It it doesn't say that people won't hurt you. Yes, you will be hurt. Yes, people will inflict pain on you. Yes, somebody is going to do something stupid to you, and they're going to need to seek your forgiveness. Okay, what Jesus says doesn't negate any of that. However, when you understand it, you also understand that even though that's going to hurt, and I'm not disparaging the pain, okay? No one. I'm not saying that you weren't hurt, and I'm not saying your pain is not real. However, the pain that we experience in those moments does not compare to the hurt and the pain that God feels when we sin against Him. It does not compare to the hurt and the pain that was inflicted on Jesus for our sins when he was on the cross to make atonement for our sins, both the physical and the emotional, right? When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that when somebody sins against us, it does not compare to the sins that we have committed against Christ. And Jesus is saying, if I can look down on you through the pain and the suffering that I went through to forgive you, then yes, you are going through pain and suffering too, but you still can extend that forgiveness to those who hurt you. Because when you do, it validates 
your statement of belief in Christ as the one who forgave you for your sins. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 sums it up this way. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You want a good, how's your spiritual life doing question? Check your forgiveness. How is your forgiveness doing? Are are you forgiving those who hurt you? When you do that, you're going to find that that forgiveness is good for your soul. And when you do that, you're also going to find out that that old adage is very true, right? To err is human, to forgive is divine. Because only God who can forgive us for our sins can take something as, as like forgiving someone who has hurt us and turn that into nourishment for our soul. And so we come to Him. He guides us to seek our daily pardon from sin. But then finally, prayer guides us to seek our protection. Seek our protection. This, the last part there in verse 10, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, looks forward in our lives and understands that trials and tests will come into them. It is, it is going to happen. It is a prayer to remain faithful <laughs> as, as we confess our weakness, to say it, it, it's going to happen. Now, I know there, there, there's a lot of verbiage that has been written on the word temptation. And the simple truth is the word that is used, temptation, is also the same as test. Don't, don't, this, we know that God does not lead us into temptation. Okay, So this is not God tempting us to sing. Well, it, it can, in our understanding, the way we use it, mean to entice to do something wrong. It can also mean to test to prove the genuineness of something. Okay, so don't get hung up on the word temptation. Because what we're having, what we're finding out, is that there's going to be trials, there's going to be tests, there's going to be temptation. All of those T's are going to, to come into our life. And the prayer is that we will use those situations to test the genuineness of our faith and to come out victorious on the other side. Right? Because when you look carefully, it is not, he does not say, and keep us from all trials. That would be a pointless prayer. Anybody, if you've ever wondered if, if there's a prayer that is pointless, that's one. Keep me from all trials. Because we have been told that trials will come into our life. Temptation will come into our life. So our prayer is that we know that they're coming into our life, but we pray that we will be able to withstand them. Right? What's your favorite sin? (laughs) Every one of you has one. All right, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking confession today, but every one of you has a favorite sin, and right after you started to laugh, that sin popped into your mind. Some of you laughing harder than others. Just, just saying, no. Right? So you want to know what the prayer is? You want to put it in, in, in how does this impact me today? It basically says, God, I know that there's a favorite sin of mine out there that I kind of like to play footsies with. I kind of like to stick my foot in front of the lion's mouth and hope he won't bite me. 
Help me not to be that stupid. That, 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 that's what it is. Don't, don't let me go into a, to an area or a, a place surrounded by, an, or surrounded by the temptation or go into the environment that tempts me that I would be enticed to bite, as James calls it, the fishing lure. Right? When, he sees, when we see that lure out there, that, that sin that we like, and we think, oh, okay, I look around. It's my favorite sin. I don't see anybody. I, I, can, I, can, I can bite it. I can, I can reach out and, and just snag it, and I can, I can play with it for a little bit. Now, the problem is, if you want to continue that analogy, is what happens when the hook is set. You don't get off. And a lot of those times, who's holding that fishing reel? Yeah, Satan, he's up in that boat, <laughs> dangling that little lure. It's like, hey, this is, this is Gary's favorite sin. Let me just pluck that out right there and just, just jig it a little bit. Is, is that what you do with the fishing lure? Do you jig it? I don't fish. And I have four analogies about fishing, and I don't fish. <laughs> Let me see if I can get him to bite it. Oh, he's not biting it. Let me move it over here in the sun so it looks pretty and it sparkles. Right, it, it, it's a prayer in that moment when we see the, that shining, you know, shimmering sin that looks so good for us to go, no, deliver us from that. The, the word actually is much stronger. It's snatch. Much like if you get ready to see somebody crossing the street and there's a car coming, you reach out and you just snatch them back. It says, snatch us out of danger. And when we pray that, you know what? We have a great promise that he will. We, we do. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Temptation comes in your life. We got a pro- Here, look at all the promises. The promise is temptation is going to come. You may not think, well, that's not a promise I like. Well, it, you may not like it, but it is a promise. We have a promise of the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. And then we have the promise where it says God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted. There is too many T's in that word this morning. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape. He will show you the way. Now, May I just make one comment about the way? Don't always look for the supernatural. If the temptation is something to, to look at something on the internet, you shouldn't be looking on. Turn off the computer. It's that simple. If your temptation is to drink to excess, don't go to the bar. It's that simple. If you hear something and you want to spread gossip, you know, there's the temptation. It's easy. Just put down the phone. It doesn't always have to be supernatural. He's going to provide the way of the escape. And at the same time, I think many times we know what the way of the escape is. But he's going to provide it. And on the flip side... If you get caught, it's not his fault. I, I know, we live in a world where we blame everybody for everything that we've done. Right? It's very convenient. But if you get caught, and, and, and you grab that lure, and you get hooked, 
it is not because God was not faithful to his word to provide you a way out. It was just you were too hard-headed and stubborn and wanted to do it anyway to see if you could get by with it. The good news is that when he gives us that way out and we take it, you're exercising your spiritual muscles. You're growing stronger in the faith. And the next time it comes along, and it will, it will, you'll be able to withstand the temptation. When we look at the second part of the Lord's Prayer, it makes this very clear, right? I am not, and neither are you, I'm sorry to disappoint you, a superhero Christian. We're, we're, you're, just, you're, you're just not. We cannot do this and travel this journey of being a believer on our own. We are absolutely dependent on Christ. We are absolutely dependent on Him. And the second part of the Lord's Prayer guides us to that understanding and to acknowledge it. And it's okay. Look, I know, again, it, we're living in a society where you don't, you don't want to be dependent on anybody. We're an independent bunch of people. But it's all right. It is okay to come and say and confess to Christ, I know that I am dependent on you. I know that I am dependent and I need you. But isn't it, doesn't it feel good to know that we are dependent on a heavenly Father who loves us very much and that God will take care and provide for his children? He absolutely will. He will provide for our provision, our pardon, and our protection with the full assurance that all of our needs are supplied, our sins are forgiven, and our temptations are defeated. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.